Hello and welcome to Dit On, the podcast brought to you by the Royal Naval Association. I'm your host, Jenna Brody, and every fortnight I will be ditting on with veterans about their careers, historians about naval conflicts and special guests on important topics. If you have a dit to spin and would like to come on as a guest and talk to me, then please email us stories at royalnavalasoc.com. I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity, but I have to warn you all, I'm a complete novice at this, but in true Matlow fashion, I'm going to completely wing it. So please bear with me. I hope to bring you some laughs, maybe jog some memories, and I'm sure we all will learn something along the way from one of our guests. But most importantly, I hope to make you feel connected to the service in one way or another. As you all know, being in the Royal Navy meant that we're used to living by a set of core values, and the Royal Naval Association is no different. With over 11,000 members, we are a family of serving, former serving, and families of the service, and everything the RNA does is linked to their core values of unity, loyalty, patriotism, and comradeship. And if you aren't already, you can become a member for free by signing up on the website www.royal-naval-association.co.uk. I've been a Siri for two, just over two years now, but I thought I'd better tell you a bit about me and my naval career before we kick off the series. I joined the Navy in 2006 when I was 19. When I think back, it was probably something I always thought I would do, as I was always interested in travelling. And my dad was a submariner, so I had grown up listening to his dits. So I decided I would join as an OMC. It was the shortest waiting list and it sounded like a good job. Um, so I put in my papers and was awaiting my dates. One of my um, friend's brother was a Kiddick chef at the time. And I remember when I told him that I was joining up and I was going to be an OMC, he laughed and said that all I would do is clean flats. And I actually thought he was joking. Well, I did do a lot of cleaning in the early days, but so did everyone. And it never really ends regardless of your ankle rate, which is probably attributed to my constant need to have my own house spotless and everything secure for CSA 7 at all times. But I don't know about anyone else, but there's nothing more satisfying than a freshly polished deck. That is until a stoker strolls through it and ruins all of your hard work. But when I wasn't cleaning flats, I was obviously on watching the MCO and I did have some naps in the MCO during the long morning, I'm not gonna lie. I was never made for watch keeping and I like my all night in too much. My best oppo on board my first ship, which was HMS Somerset. She was a stores accountant or Jack Dusty and old money. So I spent a lot of time in the stores office drinking tea and playing darts when not on watch. And I liked it. I liked the, the mindset of the logistics branch. So I decided to branch transfer and become a permanent member of the team. After retraining, I joined my favorite ship as a baby Jack Dusty, the Mighty Bulwark. And not long after I joined, we deployed, deployed to the Far East for five months. It was hands down the best five months of my career. We went to all the usual places that ships go and some cool other ones that not many people have been to. But we spent an afternoon on the beach in the Maldives, which was probably a personal highlight of mine. We were in a task group of around seven other ships. Apologies if you hear my dog Bella, she likes to be involved. But as I said, we were in a task group of about seven ships um, and we all rocked up to the horizon of the Maldives and split into two watches. So everyone either had a morning or an afternoon on the beach, just chilling out. I think we got a token for a burger and a couple of cans of goffer too. And it was, it was so nice. And it was also nice to see some friends for some other, from other ships that I knew um, in the task group and just catch up on the beach. 
although I did feel a bit sorry for the couples that were trying to have a honeymoon and hundreds of matlows turn up and take over the beach for the day but we had a good time anyway after all the fun and games of being in able rating I uh, decided to start taking my career a bit more seriously and I was promoted to Kiddick which at the time I'm sure anyone else would agree to me that first promotion you get in the navy is hard to describe maybe kind of a godlike feeling but that is also very short-lived when you realize what your new role entails um however you are continuously reminded that you are now on rockstar wages so suck it up but i did get the opportunity to teach at the supply chain training squadron so the jack dusty school for phase two trainees for a couple of years which i really enjoyed and that was probably my favorite job actually so if any of my ex-students are listening I hope you're living the dream if you're still serving. Then promoted to senior rate and I spent a few years on HMS Enterprise during the migrant crisis in the Med. I think over the whole period of time we were there, about 18 months, we rescued over 9,000 migrants from the sea, which was a lot because it's a small ship. And it was tough in many ways, but I don't think there's been another time in my career in the RN where I felt more connected as a ship's company. I had toyed with the idea of raising my papers to become an officer for a few years. And one day I decided to bite the bullet. I passed the AIB, um, which was a shock, um, but I was, I was glad. Uh, and I was extracted pretty quickly. I loved logistics officer training. I loved my time at Dartmouth, but being back at Raleigh felt like home uh, and being, especially being around the Jack Dusty School and seeing so many familiar faces. Anyway, after retraining again for the second time in my career, I was drafted to Yeovilton to an air squadron. I'll be honest, it wasn't really my scene uh, and I, I prefer to be at sea. It's what I knew and it's what I loved. But I was there, so I made the most of it. I had a really great team uh, and I would definitely suffered if I didn't have such a legendary peer writer. I was very pleased that I had her and I probably leaned on her quite a lot. And I hadn't really realised in the whole process of becoming an officer that my time at sea was now very limited but that's what I wanted to do and it was probably around this time I started to think that my career in the Royal Navy was coming to an end so I started looking at the outside world and what I would do. I was fortunate enough during my resettlement to be offered a placement on the Barclays Military Talent Scheme and to be honest I've never looked back. During the the internship of 12 weeks, I met my, my boss, who is ex-army, who understood my military skills and so supportive of my career. And I've been enjoying the ever-changing life in financial services ever since. Barclays has a phenomenal ex-military network. And because of that, I don't think I've missed the RN as much as I might have if I was working somewhere else that didn't have such a large network of people that thought like you and kind of had your same values. I've had pretty much the same role since leaving the Navy. Although, as I said, the ever-changing um, life in financial services means that the bank restructures areas. So we've moved around a couple of departments in Barclays, but my roles pretty much stayed the same. So in a nutshell, that is me. But I'm not here alone. My dad, Jim Brody, he's an ex-submariner and he's with me because uh, we were in lockdown together and he has been voluntold to help me out with this intro. Hi, Dad. You're on mute. Hello, dear. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Dad. You all right? Yes, fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for helping me out with this. That's okay. That's okay. Good to help. 
So um, I've said that you're an ex-submariner of 22 years. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about your career? Well, I joined the Navy in 1979 as a stoker, did 12 years as a stoker. I had one draft on general service and then was drafted to the submarine service. And I spent the rest of my, my time on submarines. I was a stoker submariner for 12 years and then branch transferred to writer and continued in the submarine service, finally leaving in 2001 as a Kilik writer submariner. So branch transferring runs in the family then? It seems to, yes. <laughs> and what have you done since leaving? Well, I did quite a few things. I left in 2001, as I say. Uh, I did find it difficult to, to settle into a job. I did a lot of things. Um, applied for anything, took anything, tried it for a month, couple of months, moved on if I didn't like it. Sold cars, worked with adults with learning with difficulties. I worked with asylum seekers, worked in recruitment, moved to Malta to sell timeshare and ended up working uh, customer support for an acquiring bank in Malta. And I'm still doing that now remotely. So I seem to have found a, a little niche that suits me eventually. So, why do, why do you think you struggled to settle down at the beginning then? Because you had quite a lot of jobs that you only had for a, a few months. Why do you Some think? of them I only had for a week, <laughs> depending on how much I liked it. Um, it it's just, um, I think it was trying to settle into something. It was a completely different environment being a civvy to being a, a submariner. Um, everything was different about it, you know, the, the whole environment, even the way they talked was completely different. So it was finding somewhere that, I don't know, I felt that I fitted in rather than than, than anything else, really, you know, it was, I didn't yeah. seem to fit in some of those places because I wanted to do things maybe differently or my terminology wasn't appropriate. Appropriate. <laughs> So why, why did you join? Why did you join the Navy? Well, back in 1979, it was, a, it was a completely different environment to what it is now. It was an opportunity for, you know, learning something and doing something and pretty much a, a guaranteed job. I mean, a lot of people join the Navy for a career and want to climb the ladder and get as high as they can and move on. And other people join, I think, for the lifestyle. You know, to, to be the, um, the epitome of the Matlow sort of thing. And, and that was definitely my, my reason was, was the lifestyle rather than the career advancement or things like that. So and I thoroughly enjoyed my entire 22 years and had a wonderful, wonderful time. What did you like so much about the lifestyle then? I mean, surprisingly, I think for, for being in the military and the uniform and the rules and regulations and everything, I thought being a submariner was just, it was a very, very relaxed, free sort of environment. And it's not something that a lot of people do. You know, it's a, it's a very, very different environment. And it was just, I, I, the first time I ever went down a submarine in, in the submarine training, I felt at home. Mm. I just, you know, a lot of people didn't like it the first time and people had the claustrophobia and things, but I just felt very comfortable the first time I ever went down a boat. That's fair enough. Do you remember the first time I went down a boat? Indeed, yes. You were, you were quite young at the time, yeah. How old was I? Oh, to tell the truth, I don't 
Well, but what about 10? 10, and you took me on one of your submarines. Took you on HMS Trenchant, yeah, so. And it was a horrible experience for me. I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> why, why was it so bad for you, though? Well, we were having a nice tour, and it, to be honest, I, I didn't feel at home. Um, it's nice that you got that feeling when you, the first time you went down a boat, but I don't know, maybe it's because I was young, maybe it's because it was completely alien environment to me, but you were showing us around, showing us the, the chair where you sit, where you drive the planes, and then a strange guy came over to us and said that he'd just been electrocuted from the washing machine, and that was it. I wanted to get off. I was done with submarines. And then you continued with the tour, showing us everything where you slept. Um, and we walked past the compartment that had the washing machine in it. And uh, yeah, it was pretty terrifying, actually, but probably why I never wanted to be a submariner. Possibly, yes. But I can assure you, I never got electrocuted on a, on a, on a submarine ever. No. So why did you branch transfer then? So I, I branch transferred because I like playing darts and uckers in the stores office. I mean, what, what was your incentive from going from writer to so submariner, so from stoker to writer? Well, a number of reasons. One, the, at the time, the advancement in the, the Stoker branch was practically nil. So I was beginning to think that I should try and move on a little bit in my career. But advancement for a Stoker, even getting to lead in hand, was a long, 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 long wait. I was also getting older and the bilges on submarines were dirty, horrible, manky things, noisy. And so I, I chose a, a cleaner environment to work in and with a little bit more scope for advancement. So. And have any of the skills then you think that you sort of gained in either of the branches helped you with your many civilian careers? The, the, the writer training, some aspects of it are definitely helping now. Um, Stoker Samarining, Samarining is, is not a lot of skills that can transfer over, but I think the, the attitude of um, a, a naval person that sort of transfers well you know the, the attitude for work the ability to do things i think that transfers well to a civilian environment now mm, yeah, yeah i definitely agree with that what what do you miss if anything i mean i know you left 20 years ago you've almost been out as long as you were in i mean is there anything you still really miss well i mean there are a few tinnies at lunchtime and <laughs> the runs ashore we had some wonderful wonderful runs ashore what was um, the best one Oh, there were so many good ones. Um, the thing about being a Samaritan is whenever you went anywhere, they put you in a hotel and gave you subsistence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, the, the runs ashore there were absolutely wonderful. Bermuda, we spent a couple of weeks in Bermuda in a lovely hotel, the Inverary. Um, had a really, really lovely time riding about on our little mopeds in the sunshine. And Canada, Halifax, Nova Scotia was a lovely place. I liked it there. Australia was good, but a lot of the Far East. But I think Bermuda was was my favourite little jaunt. Mm. What about your worst? Well, there's a lot of places that, I mean, were not particularly pleasant places to go, but I mean, because they were primarily naval bases, you know, some places in um, in Europe. Um, but I mean, we didn't, I wouldn't say there was a was. I would say there was a, a runner show that was bad, you know? Mm. Some of them were better than others, but there's no such thing as a bad runner show in a hotel with a fistful of free money, you know? No, well, I suppose not. A runner show is a runner show, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, no matter how many times you go to Gibraltar, it's still good to get there, isn't it? So. Yes, no, you can't beat Jib. No. 
In fact, I, I remember the first time I went to Gibraltar. And do you remember I texted you? Yeah, you phoned and said, guess where I am? Yeah, in the donkey's flip-flop. Well, about mm. 15 minutes before that, I was with my friends and we'd just gone ashore and I, I hadn't been in the Navy a year. And um, we were walking and there were some, some of the older, bolder kiddicks ahead of us. And I was saying, where's this donkey's flip-flop that my dad um, keeps going on about? And I was looking for a pub called the donkey's flip-flop. And one of the kiddicks experts turned around and was like, you're stood outside it, it's called the horseshoe. And I felt a bit of an idiot there, but you should have pre-warned me about that, Dad. Well, I thought everybody just called it the <laughs> No, it's called the horseshoe, but now I know. And I was, I was, know. Yeah, I've had some good times in there too. Well, thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you'll come and have a chat again. Well, oh, anytime, darling, anytime. Thanks, Pops. Okay. Thank you, then. Bye -bye. Thank you. So I hope this intro has given you all a bit of a flavour of what the podcast's about. But this isn't a one-way transmission, so I would love it if you would get involved, send me in your dits, um, you know, anything that you want to share or topics you want us to talk about, or if you want to come on, as I said, and have a dit spinning session with me, uh, and we can catch up on anything you want to talk about. 